Good morning, Christchurch. So glad to be here. It's always nice to hear that we get to fall back, right? We get that extra hour, but we never like to jump ahead. No. Uh, last year, as part of being pastor of discipleship and strategic ministry development, I felt called into the CC Kids to help form, train, equip, and shape the next iteration of children's ministry. Now, my favorite part of it is that I get to work directly with the kids, and I get to tell you stories of how they encounter God. Two weeks ago, we read Adam and Eve eating the fruit of the tree of good and evil. After, I asked, any questions? Now, I always get questions, and sometimes I get stories that have nothing to do with what we just read. (laughs) But because I had the fourth and fifth graders, there are lots of big questions. Why did God put that tree in the garden when it was so tempting? Where is the flaming sword that keeps people out of the garden now? Has anyone found it? Wait, I thought everything lived forever in the garden. So where did the animal skins come from? Did that mean God killed animals? No, maybe dinosaurs killed them. Um, Were dinosaurs in the garden? You know, dinosaurs aren't always bad like in Jurassic Park. Did you know the first animal was a jellyfish? No, it was a protozoa. But that's not an animal. So maybe animals did die and God found a dead one. A bunch of wrinkled noses from the girls. Why did they have to eat that fruit? Was it a real fruit? No, it's figurative. The Bible isn't a science book, you know. On and on it went. I sat back and listened to them ask and answer each other's questions with what they knew or what they didn't know. And one thing became clear. They all realized that Adam and Eve were supposed to be living into something good a vocation to bring wholeness to the, to the world. This was a vocation of shaloming, filling the earth with the wholeness and peace of God. But Adam and Eve messed it up, and these kids were pretty annoyed that they are now part of this mess up too. I can't make these things up. Sometimes I just think they're like geniuses and little bodies. So would you stand with me as I read from God's word this morning in Jeremiah 29. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And require wholeness for the city where I sent you into exile. Ask the Lord for it, for its peace, welfare, and health will determine your own. Lord, we come this morning uh, to you, knowing that we're part of uh, a world that doesn't look the way that you've wanted it to look. We're here this morning, and we've carried in things that are broken, that feel like not good. We are coming with struggling health, struggling relationships. And we're just 
we're tired and we don't quite know um, maybe where you want us to go or what you want us to do. But we're here this morning because we know we can hear from you. We know that your spirit will work among us. We, we have this hope that you will speak to us in a way that changes our perspective this morning. So, Holy Spirit, I do pray that as um, I speak, as we listen to this word, as we go in this together, that you speak to us, that you change our perspective, and you allow us to go out um, getting a, a new glimpse of who you are. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as movie-watching audiences, uh, we have this love-hate relationship with Hollywood movie remakes. In a way, remakes are just a variation on a theme. For a new generation, see, it's, it's sort of like seeing a character after a long absence, right? It's like seeing a character from a childhood that you remember, but now from a different point of view. When we see a a remake come out, we seem to have this starry-eyed view of the original. But usually, they are never as good as we remember. They are sometimes cheesy and badly produced, and the character doesn't match what we remember, and we lose that love or passion for the story. But when the remake is good, our imaginations are recaptured, and we fall in love with the story all over again. And that's what's happening in today's sermon. Today, as we enter week seven of our Rooted series, I want us to consider how much God's story is still being remade in and through us. How he's riffing on a theme. Regardless of time or place, error or population, God is actually calling us into a remake of his original intention for humanity. His intention of calling us into a vocation to bring wholeness or shalom to the world. So today's title is Shaloming, the Remake of Vocation. And it comes from Jeremiah 29.7. Now, some of you uh, may have not recognized the way that um, that verse, uh, Jeremiah 27, was read. Um, and because part of the fun of preaching is that we get to do uh, word studies based on the original language. It's fun for us. But but I'm going to sort of give you a a glimpse of it um, because it helps us riff on an old theme, but for our present day. Now, many of you heard Jeremiah 29 as seek the welfare or the peace of the city. But this Hebrew imperative verb, seek, has more meaning than our English language picks up. It's it's more than just hide and seek, right? Uh, That's just a temporary looking for something. But in Hebrew, it means to inquire of, to examine, or require. Jeremiah uh, pressed this meeting into this new vision for this exiled people. Not just seek, but require wholeness for the city. And it brings with it this idea of a demand. Require that. It's an action that's a continuous action to demand the highest of benchmarks. It's like a good remake on the theme of what was required from the Jewish people when they loved and cared for their own city and their own people. So what was required? 
It's this word wholeness. The Hebrew word here is shalom, and it's often translated as peace or welfare, but it it has this deeper scope as well. On the surface, it does mean safety and, and peace and security with no conflicts, no wars, and it means prosperity and wealth, but it also carries this deep sense of wholeness, completeness, perfection, a sense of well-being inside ourselves and outside ourselves. Shalom is supposed to permeate all aspects of the world. Jeremiah here is reminding them of God's original vision of what living in the Garden of Eden was like, living in this wholeness with God, with themselves, with others, and the world. And while it was easy in Eden and easier in Jerusalem, this was still required of them as they lived as exiles. But here's the kicker. The city Jeremiah was talking about was not Jerusalem, which they loved, but Babylon, in the Babylonian kingdom. In 586 BC, the Babylonians had just conquered and destroyed Jerusalem and carried these exiles away into Babylon. And Jeremiah, as the prophet, had been calling the kingdom of Judah after Israel had been destroyed some 200 years earlier, this city, Babylon, was not like Jerusalem at all. It had temples dedicated to other gods. It looked different. It smelled different. It felt different. And it was full of their enemies. But instead of grumbling about their beloved temple that had been destroyed and their city, Jerusalem, that had been destroyed, they were supposed to embrace God's remake of their vocation. This city would be the, uh, the place that they now had to carry on life because God was the one that had exiled them. It says, I have sent you in order to remake what they hadn't been doing as their vocation with their own people. They had stopped shaloming. They had stopped bringing wholeness to their own city and their own people. To shalom had always been God's original vocation for them, to bring this wholeness, peace, sense of equity, justice, care, and compassion to each other and to the world. They were to be requiring that shaloming happens everywhere, and now even in their enemies. Now, God knew this was going to be difficult. Uh, He knew, after all, um, that they were just following the failure of vocation by the first humans, as the fourth and fifth graders lamented loudly. Instead of reflecting God, uh, our early its ancestors, Adam and Eve, wanted to be God. By human choice, sin broke the vocation of Shalom. It corrupted their relationship with God, with each other, with themselves, and with all of the world. And it brought brokenness to our understanding of who they were and what they were about and what they were supposed to be doing they had forgotten their vocation. But from Genesis to Revelation, we see God casting a remake of each generation for his people to call them back 
into this vocation of shalom. In Jeremiah 29, 7, um, it's just a reflection of this long stream of God doing this remake for his people, calling them back into a vocation of shalom. From Abraham being, a, being blessed to be a blessing to Moses who led slaves out of Egypt and God now calling them a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. To even now, Jesus in the New Testament riffing off that theme as he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, like a city on the hilltop that cannot be hidden. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Even as the church pressed into their new vocation, John picks this up in the book of Revelation, says, he has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his Father, all glory and all power to him forever and ever. Amen. See, we too have been given this vocation of shaloming. A vocation because we are his people, a kingdom of priests to bring shalom into the places that we inhabit. To bring wholeness, completeness, equity, justice, peace, prosperity. To have it permeate all of creation. And we have God's spirit that lives in us that helps us do this. It's because God has always made us for shalom. We'll never be satisfied with doing something less than shalom. Right? It's why we get bored with our jobs, with our relationships, with how we do things, what we do. We're constantly getting bored, even with God and with church. We're bored because we've lost this vocation of shaloming the way that we were always meant to be. And this apathy, I think, comes from this paradigm that we've actually believed that our institutions, our society, was supposed to always do this shalom for itself. There's this paradigm of if-then statements that focus on the brokenness of others instead of our understanding of the vocation for ourselves. If we had better lawyers, police training, judges, and prison systems, then X, Y, Z. If we had more education in schools that whatever. If uh, everyone voted for my political party or candidate, right? If I could express myself without judgment, if I could get more money and everything I needed, then everything would be better. But I think for too long, we've been abdicating our vocation of shaloming to the institutions of ethics and education and justice and arts and in economy and the environment, as though society, our culture, our institutions, and our systems can actually shalom on their own. We've stood back and watched as we've assumed others can jump in and do the work for us. Not in ourselves, but for others. The problem is, is that instead of leaning in, we've been standing aloof. 
As the words of Taylor Swift from her newest song, Antihero, say, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. I'll stare directly in the sun, but never in the mirror. It must be exhausting always rooting for the anti-hero. Our problem is that we become the anti-hero by giving the vocation of shaloming to our politicians, to our superstars, to our famous people. We can get high on our high horse on social media and do all kinds of commenting about social issues as long as they doesn't get our hands dirty, right? We call bad art and creativity entertainment. We don't care if our prosperity actually hurts anyone else anywhere else. And we just keep over-consuming. We are the problem. We've forgotten that shalom without God is impossible. We become anti-heroes by trusting our cultural paradigms that institutions and systems can accomplish shalom without God. Hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. It's you. It's us. Because shalom doesn't start with humans. It starts with God. Through Jesus, shalom was restored. We're reminded in Revelation uh, chapter 5, 9 through 10, It says about Jesus, for you were slaughtered and with your own blood, you purchased a people from God, from every tribe and tongue, from every people and nation and made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they will reign on the earth. We have been purchased by Christ's blood to be made into a kingdom of shalomers. If we just think about sin as just rescuing me personally from my sin or my problem, I'm not just looking for shalom. That's only part of it. If sin is just my personal problem and God is my personal problem, I'm not actually understanding shalom. Jesus didn't rescue me from my brokenness and sin and then rescued you from your brokenness and sin alone. Our vocation is to see that God came to rescue us and the world. Salvation is both this personal shalom and a communal shalom. It's the sense that wholeness and completeness, peace, it's all tied up with each other's wholeness, completion, and peace. So when I am shaloming for you and I am bringing wholeness and completeness and peace for you, somehow that actually is also worked out in me. There has to be this both and. Now, you've probably heard this story. It's a story of a guy who finds himself on a river and he hears a cry for help and he swims out into the river and he rescues this child, resuscitates him, And as soon as he's done, he hears another cry. So he runs out into the river, swims out, rescues. But now there's two children, and he brings these two children back, resuscitates them. And as soon as he's done, he hears more cries for help. So he yells for the village to come and help him. And more men go out into the river, swim out, rescue four, then six, then eight children. And they're resuscitating him, and they're helping him. And then this one guy is standing there, and he begins to run up the river. 
And the guys on the on this side of the river go, where are you going? And he says, I'm going to the river, up the river to find out who's pushing these children into the river and stop them. Requiring shalom isn't just about rescue. It isn't about just making our institutions or systems or neighborhoods better for us. It isn't just about being kind or doing good deeds or volunteering your time by serving your community. While the, all these things are part of shaloming, shalom pushes us deeper. Now, I imagine yourself um, going to the beach in Jamestown after a really bad storm. We're sometimes actually amazed that the beach we saw a week before is not the beach we see that day. And when you get there, these those round stones that have all been pushed up on the beach all the way to the top. And you have really a lot of trouble walking. You're stumbling. You're trying to figure out how to make a walk on the beach by having, having to deal with this terrain. There's barriers. There's tripping hazards. There are difficulties, right? Now, imagine you get all the way across to the other side of the beach. The concept of shaloming is when you've shalomed a beach like that, you look back, and it's nothing but soft level sand. Shaloming changes the whole terrain. It's removed barriers. It's removed um, all kinds of things that are making others trip. Biblical shalom requires us to walk these stony uh, beaches in our neighborhoods, in our towns, in our education and judicial systems, at work, in your corporations, in your relationships with others, and in our world. Like the fourth and fifth graders, we should begin to be asking more and more questions about what we're engaged in. Like, what are the big rocks that make barriers for others to enter into the workplace? How does the financial bottom line of your company make room for fair trade or good resourcing that cares not only for about your employees or about you, but for the people making your products? Are there big rocks that are keeping your neighbors or your town from housing, good rentals, and safe environments? Wherever you find yourself serving the homeless or caring for refugees and immigrants or caring for the poor, helping your neighbor, or just being good employers or employees. It can't end there. We must go upstream and ask, what is causing the problem? What is driving our issues that we're facing, our brokenness? And then what does it mean to live out God's shalom for people who I don't like, or I don't care about, or I don't know? Maybe they're my enemies, politically, spiritually, and even relationally. These types of questions force us to consider how we are not only rescuing those we see in front of us, but what kinds of things need to change on a large scale for injustice, poverty, racism, and all the isms to not be sucking people down. To require shalom means to require some hard lifting on our behalf, moving some heavy rocks so the ground around us is smooth. 
Now, this could be a whole sermon series, and, but I don't want to do that today. But I want to leave you with this. Where are you walking in God's spirit to help experience shalom? Where are you with God? Have you been rescued? Have you asked God to rescue you from your brokenness? Have you done that? Maybe that's your next step. Maybe you're not at peace with your neighbor or yourself or with others in your family. How is God's spirit reminding you to walk in shalom for that? Are you pushing into shalom for your family, your neighborhood, your workplace in the world? If you don't know how, what kind of resources do you need? Are you asking the question, what does it mean to go beyond that first level, just, okay, I will help and rescue, but what's beyond that? Do you need more resourcing? How can we help? And where are you requiring shalom in the places that you inhabit? Where are you today in your place as a retiree, as an employer, as an employee, as a student, as a parent, as a grandparent? Where are you in shaloming, in your process of shaloming the world? What does that look like for you? How do you ask more questions? How do you push in deeper and say, am I leaving the rocky, stony beach a more smooth, soft place? So I want to end with uh, my current day translation of Jeremiah 29.7 for us today. Require for yourself that you work for wholeness and completion and completeness in the places where you carry on life because God has sent you there. Come to Jesus for this wholeness. Speak with him and listen to his spirit because in the going after wholeness, in the places of life with others, you will also become whole and complete in yourself.